Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are back with number 34 on AFI's top 100 list, 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Dwarfs, not dwarves. Dwarfs. Dwarfs. It's weird to say, but Ethan, why don't we just jump right into it and get a plot synopsis? Yeah, let's do it. Um, Here we go. So Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is the story of the young and beautiful princess, Snow White, whose evil stepmother, the queen, is jealous of. The queen forces her to work as a scullery maid in order to keep her beauty from shining through so that the queen may remain the most fair in the land. While working, Snow White meets a prince and falls in love. When the queen's magic mirror tells her that Snow White's beauty has surpassed her own, she orders her huntsman to kill Snow White in the woods. He's unable to bring himself to do so and urges Snow White to run into the forest and hide. She does so and discovers, through the help of woodland creatures, the house of the seven dwarfs. She thinks they are orphans, children, so she cleans the house and cooks dinner but falls asleep. The dwarfs return from mining to discover her in their house, and after conquering their initial fear, they become friends. Snow White makes them wash up for dinner, and they eat. Meanwhile, the queen asks her mirror who is fairest, but discovers the huntsman's failure, or treachery, depending on how you see it. She disguises herself into an old woman and creates a magic apple that will put Snow White into a death-like sleep that can only be broken by true love's first kiss. She convinces Snow White to bite the apple, but the woodland animals warn the dwarfs who chase the queen up a mountain. In an attempt to murder the dwarves with a boulder, the queen falls from the cliff and dies. The dwarfs, unable to bury Snow White because she is so beautiful, craft a coffin of gold and glass. Eventually, the prince discovers the coffin and opens it to give Snow White a kiss, awakening her. The two head to his castle to live. You guessed it. You want to say it, Matt? Happily ever after? Happily ever after. It's confusing because it looked like his castle was in heaven. It did kind of look like his castle was in heaven, and it looked a lot like his castle was just her castle, but a little bit more golden. Maybe it's the same castle. Maybe his long-term plan was to have the queen die, and then he was going to usurp the throne. I mean, it could be we literally know, like, nothing about the prince. Yeah, except for he sneaks up on women who are looking into wells and then yells at them. (laughs) right and that he searched and searched for the corpse of a girl he met once so that he could kiss it in the woods yeah you get those sound or not you get those text cards coming across the screen around that point in the film and i was telling kimberly she was watching this with me said he's like oh man i gotta go find that girl i like and kiss her dead body (laughs) it's just wild also can we um point out that the queen makes a magic apple that does not kill Snow White, but puts her into like a magic sleep. Just poison her. You're in the woods. Just kill her. Just what do you? <laughs> it's made even more strange by the fact that she's already previously hired the huntsman to murder her. Right. And she's like, well, that didn't work. Must use unconventional means now. <laughs> right. Just kill her yourself. It doesn't make sense. But here we are. 
Yeah, I mean, of course, it doesn't make sense, but it's also, you know, a parable or a fable, right? So you're not going to get a whole lot of sense making. You're just getting lessons, moral lessons. And on the subject of those lessons, I think, you know, the pivotal scene is actually kind of hard to pick for a movie like this where you don't have a whole lot of dialogue. And just by nature of it being a podcast and audio format, we tend to gear toward audio scenes that best represent the film or act as a turning point for the film don't really have that in this and most of the film is comprised of woodland creatures dancing and songs being sung right so Mm -hmm. i in my notes here it just says uh grumpy's toxic masculinity i guess (laughs) and i have i have a, a more full thing to say about this but the scene i picked is right before the dwarfs wash up and Grumpy's giving them the lowdown on women's wiles. Right. So let's take a listen to this and we'll be right back. Well, uh, uh, what is it? Why, it, it, it's a girl. She's mighty pretty. She's beautiful, just like a angel. Angel? <laughs> She's a female. And all females is poison. They're full of wicked wiles. What are wicked wiles? I don't know. But I'm against them. What's wrong? Wake her up. Oh, let her wake up. She don't belong here no how. Look out. She's moving. She's waking up. What do we do? <laughs> the thing I wanted to point out about this is I think it stands in for something more broad that's going on in the film. The thing that's going on is role education, I think maybe mm-hmm. is the best way to say. Yeah. I mean, you watch Snow White and you're being taught as a girl how to be a perfect housewife. Mm-hmm. Which which is a strange thing because like the as a princess, I would just, the entire time watching this film, I just thought like the princess knows how to cook dinner, clean the house, do all these things. And I guess it's because she's a scullery maid or whatever. But those seem like very un-princess-like things to know and much more like late 30s middle class housewife things to know right and i think the fact that she's a princess is also pretty telling so she's a princess so she she is perfect right she's Mm -hmm. desired she's a desired object but she also has utility because she's worked as a scholarly maid right Mm -hmm. so it kind of represents this perfect woman a lady in the streets and a cook in the kitchen. <laughs> a cook in the kitchen. and That's what a, they all say. And literally a monster in the sheets. Oh my gosh, you're right. There is the scene <laughs> where the dwarfs come back and mistake her with her sleeping noises, which are pretty suspect as sleeping noises, I think we should point out. She's a monster. They think, she, they think she's a monster. So, very good. She's a lady in the streets, a monster in the sheets, and a cook in the kitchen. <laughs> The perfect nineteen late nineteen thirties woman who's also Christian, right? She's praying. Right, she prays. She's a Christian. It's the weirdest thing. Well, it's weird to maybe a modern audience. We could talk yes, about this in three yes. questions, but I think to the nineteen thirty seven audience, this is exactly what is very familiar, mm-hmm. and all of those values are reaffirmed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to note that the queen's failing is that she's very vain. She seems to kind of be a little too big for her britches. She's trying to go after something that she shouldn't. She should just be demure and happy with her 
extraordinary beauty like Snow White is and still be humble. But instead, she goes on this path of obsession, which quite literally turns her into an old hag. Right. It actually, it, it absolutely does. And, and of course, she dies ugly and, and awful. We, she never transforms back, right? Yeah. And there's also something naturalistic about her death. She's trying to kill him with a boulder, and lightning strikes the platform she's standing on and sends mm-hmm. her to her death. And apparently, in the original script, lightning was going to strike her and kill her. Oh, well, and in the in, and I did read that in at least some versions of the original fable, uh, she lives long enough to see Snow White and the prince get married, and her punishment then becomes uh, for for her crimes to uh, have to wear a, a special set of like uh, concrete or steel shoes that have been heated over a fire, and she dances herself to death. <laughs> that is a very cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, I think so. So, Ethan, Man. we should maybe talk about the whole point of this film. Yeah, what what is the point of this film? I really do think it's that role education thing I talked yeah. about earlier, yeah. that men are supposed to be princes that charm women, and they're supposed to go after them and attain them, right? It's something right. to be attained. They're a desired object, women are. And women in these stories are supposed to be the ones that are attained, they're supposed to civilize the men or domesticize yeah, the men. That's exactly what I was going to say. Domesticity, right? Her ability to come in with these uh, man children, li- literal man children, right, um, and 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 domesticate them uh, is absolutely part of her. I mean, you know, if she's a princess with a power, her power is to, to like talk to animals and trick men into taking a bath. I think it's also significant that all of these men, and this was a thing that was pointed out by Kimberly, not myself. Like each of these men have a different disability. Like, oh, I guess you're right. So they're, she's kind of taming the undesirables of society. Yeah. 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 And, and it's interesting too, because all of her interactions with dwarves, because they are um, either because they're, creatures mystical creatures as as dwarves or or perhaps you know we can go down this uh this disability argument that that kimberly proposed um they she's not sexually available to them they're they're safe right like they are not they're not trying to have sex with her they sleep downstairs they give her their beds right um and and so there's no threat of sexual violence, right? There's no threat of you know them trying to seduce her, because that perhaps they are they're othered, or perhaps because they are not necessarily human, or or, or who knows what, right? She gives them chaste kisses, yes. which I think is significant because Dopey is the one that keeps transgressing and is trying to oh, get yeah. additional kisses or kisses on the mouth. And you as the audience, as the 1937 viewer, are supposed to say something like, oh, you silly little imp, you know you can't have that. She's way different from you. You're of different classes and different orders, right? Maybe a different species. Yeah, that his, Dopey's uh, repeated attempts at trying to get a kiss on the mouth feel a little uncomfortable. (laughs) But no less uncomfortable than his representation as clearly someone with a mental condition and is being yeah. treated like the butt of every joke. Yeah, he's mute. He doesn't seem to be very smart. I mean, his name is literally Dopey, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ethan, maybe we should just jump to our three questions here. 
Let's do it. Let's jump to them. Okay, before we do, we'll be right back. All right, Ethan, three question time. Let's do it. Let's start with our first one. What do we owe to this film? Well, you know, I think we have to consider really the entire, I guess, history of animation coming after this film, right? This is the first feature length animated film. This is the first feature length animated film with sound uh, in English, um, in Technicolor, right? And was widely understood uh, until its release to be a foolish endeavor. They called it uh, Disney's folly, right? The idea that he's going to make this uh, feature-length animated movie. People were people thought it was crazy. Um, and I read somewhere when I was doing a little bit of research about this movie that there were people that argued that if you watched an animated film for this long, it would ruin your eyes, right? Uh seeing that you know the animation right so the idea that we can even have a a feature length animated film i think we owe to this movie i think it's also really funny about the damaging your eyes thing how closely that mirrors people's fears about vr virtual reality Mm -hmm. the idea that oh you can't be in vr for three four hours you're gonna ruin your eyes right or or 3d different instantiations of 3d yeah you know it 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 even echoes you know people's fears about reading right there's that myth that if you read in without enough light you're gonna ruin your eyes right which is not true um of course you might strain your eyes but you're not gonna ruin your eyesight no, I uh, I have no eyes. Mine burned out of their sockets because I <laughs> I had a low light situation while I was reading. I mean, thank God we don't have to read by candlelight anymore, right? <laughs> Wait, why, why don't we? Oh no, Matt, are you using whale oil uh, candles as well? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna. T- we'll talk to you after the recording. <laughs> so I agree with everything you said about what we owe to this film. And I don't want to preempt the second question too early, so I'll just suffice to say that it is an amazing achievement. And I think even today, one could see it and still think, yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, definitely. So to stop speaking very obliquely about what I was just referring to, does this film hold up? You know, I, I so I'm, I'm with you in that I think visually this film is quite astounding. I mean, this is 37... Um, and we've seen a, a whole bunch of films from, you know, this era, thir- 30s, 40s, you know. Um, and the animation is pretty amazing. I mean, it still looks pretty good. Obviously, it's not quite as crisp. Um, it's not quite as sharp as, you know, animation coming shortly after. Um, but it is it is pretty beautiful. It really, truly does look like a storybook that's come to life in a lot of ways. Um, it, it's hard to look at it and say, like, this isn't a, a, a fantastic achievement. So I agree, Ethan. I think this looks visually stunning. Although I will say, I don't want the sharpness or crispness that you might see in a mm-hmm. 2019 animated film. I mean, that's got its own place, and I enjoy it for its own reasons. But mm-hmm. I was surprised at how much I really enjoyed watching viewing seeing this movie yeah you know audio take it or leave it but the visuals about it it's almost always clean you see a few hitches here or there when you can see the animation kind of cut together Mm -hmm. for whatever reason uh, that's the case but 
I also think that there are some really neat effects. The book opening and closing, the fairy tale book, mm-hmm. I think looks stunning. It was I was trying to look at it and try to see the seams, try to see where they're yeah. doing the trick, and it just looks really good. I think the water in the well I was gonna say fantastic the, the water there are several scenes where where there's water and I looked at there, there's also one of there's a shot of the uh, the dwarfs hut in the woods and there's water in the river or the stream or whatever and I remember thinking holy cow that I mean how did they do that it looks fantastic it looks so good and the well of course and also the opening zoom in shot from the castle where you go see the mm-hmm. the queen. I saw that. That's pretty early on. I thought, wow, this looks amazing. And I don't know if it's because it kind of looks like they rubbed Vaseline on the lens, right? It looks like soap <laughs> opera-esque in the way that it's it's illustrated or animated. But mm-hmm. there's something really nice about it. I don't know if that's just nostalgia talking, but I think it looks really, really good. And I would love to see more films today with the technology they have look back to this yeah there there is something really attractive about the 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 sort of lack of perfection right and that's it's constraints of the time right i mean and this is why we can look back at some of the other films on this list um and and think about you know how visually they might look better because they're playing with the, the constraints right and mm-hmm. and i think that that's you know we can look at how constraints in filmmaking and in in lots of other things um force innovation and force you know tricky transformations right um and and make something that's really beautiful um and and at the very least visually interesting yeah i mean i think i would even put this up here as maybe the film that best holds up visually speaking Mm -hmm. yeah for the rest of it i would say we've already discussed a bit about the weird sort of gender politics and the kind of moral instruction or role instruction that a film like this is doing. And we don't have to be the ones that tell everyone about Disney and all of his weird hangups and weird issues. Well, I think that, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about this film versus Disney films that have come out in the last 10 years. You know, there is very obviously a shift away from this very simplistic damsel in distress storyline they've very obviously made a concerted effort to 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 step away from this you know disney itself um so i think you know like you said we don't need to be the ones to tell everybody this um if you're listening to this podcast i have a feeling that you may have encountered uh some criticisms of disney in general um in your life um, but just looking at what Disney itself has done as a corporation, as, you know, a producer of art, you know, you, you get all of these. There's a shift from the Disney princess who pretty much does nothing except for cook and clean to, you know, Disney princesses that, uh, you know, fight and, uh, you know, do they do all sorts of things. They have agency, right, where they've become tr- true, you know, uh protagonists rather than just sort of a vessel for us to see the world you know this animated world um so so yeah i i just wanted to say you know disney itself has sort of moved away from this uh and that tells us something absolutely and i want to ask our final question because i think we still have some room to talk about how it's holding up because it's almost unquestionable that we've seen this before right Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think we could answer this in our third question, which is, do we care about this film? 
You know, I, I think for several of the reasons we've already laid out, I mean, this is a monumental achievement in film. So so I think that even even at that moment, right, we sort of have to, in the same way that maybe we thought about Toy Story um, as, as the first uh, fully computer animated film, right? Like that's important simply because it does that first and and does not do it poorly and the same here right that this film is the first truly animated fully technicolor uh feature-length film and that's important and that's worth thinking about it launches the animated feature film business basically so so we sort of have to i think i'm pointing to nostalgia a bit with this question for myself and thinking you know i remember enjoying this film as a kid I, i think i found the dopey eating soap to be hysterically funny yeah maybe not quite as funny as an adult but i do still visually enjoy this film and you know i there's a lot of issue with the sort of masculinity of grumpy or the role that prince charming's supposed to play or snow white with her skin as white as snow both right. gender and race stuff all crops up here but i do think that I do think I'm still fond of this film. So I think for all the reasons you mentioned, yeah, we have to care about it. But even on a personal level, I think I would still say I care about this. Yeah, there is certainly nostalgia. You know, it, it seems to me that it's hard to be a, a child of the early 90s and not have seen this on VHS and, and not to have in, um, encountered Disney in some way. I mean, it's sort of like Mickey Mouse, right? Like Mickey Mouse. Do I sit around and watch Mickey Mouse cartoons now? No. But it's something that, you know, becomes very important for people in our generation, you know, that that just encountered that in the 90s. You know what I mean? It's part of the mm-hmm. brand. It's part of, you know, what we were what we grew up with. Um, and even if we find perhaps as adults that it is not quite as substantive as perhaps it felt as uh, children or if it's, you know, uh, got some problematic gender issues, right? It still has merits, right? Some of them, <laughs> you know. We we could we could really have a deep deep debate about the, you know the merits of the beauty and the importance as animation versus it, the sort of story it tells and the morals and values that it uh, sets out for us. But I think that you know one that's a different podcast, and two. Disney itself has has tried to distance itself from that, you know? Yeah, and I think I'm fine with leaving it just as a mixed bag. Yeah, definitely. So that'll do it for us. I know it's a little short of an episode, but there's only so much we can say without tipping into that deep end you just talked about. Yes, and there's no plot to this film, basically. (laughs) No, there, there really isn't. It's incident of music and incident of comedy and then... Oh, right. We should probably have her. We should do the story, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> and it takes it takes a long time in between each story piece. But but again, this is this is early um, animation. This is early feature length animation, you know, and so you have to fill the time the time somehow. And and they chose a story that it perhaps is is purposefully sort of vapid. Well, Ethan, speaking of vapid. It's time for us to get off the mic. <laughs> We're going to be back in two weeks with the next film on the AFI Top 100. That's number 33, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, yes, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. 
But until that time, I've got some Mickey Mouse cartoons to watch by Whale Oil Light. <laughs> so I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. There's there's Spilby Woiler Spilby Bilby Woilers? But there will be spoilers. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers.